Okay, last time uh, I started off in Second Kings 22, but tonight I want to start. I want to go back to Jeremiah chapter one and read the first few verses there. Um, Verse one goes: The words of Jeremiah, the son of Hilkiah, of the priests that were in Anathoth, in the land of Benjamin. Now. Um, Anathos, if you look at the note, it was about three miles outside of Jerusalem. And when Nebuchadnezzar came, and uh, that was also in, toward the end of Jeremiah's prophecies, when uh, Jeremiah came, that whole area was destroyed. Anathos, that was destroyed probably even before the temple the temple date was, let me give you a couple of dates here for this study. The temple, according to Bollinger's dating, is 477. And the temple was built in 910. That's when it was completed under Solomon's reign. So from 910 to 477. And, and this, even though I'm talking about Josiah tonight, what I'm trying to bring out is uh, comparisons with the temple, both uh, in 1 Corinthians 3:16 and 17, and also in Ephesians 2:19 through 22. I want to comment on those a little later, but but what Josiah did in chapter 22 of 2 Kings was cleaned. He repaired the temple, and then in chapter 23 he cleansed it and we'll get into some of that but but if you want to look at the date when according to Bollinger he he reigned the 31 years as you remember but take it from the date 531 to the date 500 so that makes a little a little easier and then in the 18th year of his reign that's when a lot of things happened where he was uh, promised that the kingdom would not be overturned in his day. And it was, I said 14 years, it was actually 13 years. From his 18th year to his 31st year, that's 13 years. That what I say is the kingdom was extended. And the Lord has, can do that anytime he wants. He could do that with the nation of, with our nation if he wanted to or, but we read some verses where we know that all that's taken care of and all that's in his hands. Now when when Josiah died in 500 there was four kings after him. Two of them reigned for three months each. Two of them reigned for 11 years each. So if you add that up that's 22 and one half years. So when he died 22 and one half years later that's when the, the temple was destroyed and uh, quite a few people were carried away to Babylon at that time also. But there were a few before that. But uh, but the reason I like to uh, compare things in the Old Testament is because the same I am that existed in the New Testament that we learn about and read about, that same I am was in the Old Testament, as you well know. And the more we get to know the Lord, the more we have faith in Him. So, 
and and there's also other comparisons. Of course, you know that there's a direct quote right there in Ephesians 6, 1 through 3 that uh, the first commandment with promise, that made it that made it our dispensation. There was one of the, the Ten Commandments. And we have that right in Ephesians. So now now that's no longer an Old Testament verse. It applies to us, the church which is his body. Okay, but let's keep reading there in Jeremiah chapter 1. So Anathoth was destroyed and all of the priests there, you know, they had to, uh, you know, Jeremiah had to move inside the walls there at the end because there was just too much destruction. But in verse 2, In whom the word of the Lord came in the days of Josiah, the son of Ammon, king of Judah, in the thirteenth year of his reign. That is, in the in, in, uh, in Josiah's thirteenth year, that's when Jeremiah started to prophesy. And if you put these dates together, all, all of them through, he, he prophesied right at 40 years. That was about the length of his, proper, of his prophecies. But afterwards, he also, uh, there were a couple of things written after the 40 years when he went down to Egypt with some of the people. But that's a different study. But, uh, yeah, then verse 3, It also came to pass in the days of Jehoiakim, the son of Josiah, king of Judah, unto the end of the 11th year of Zedekiah, the son of Josiah, king of Judah, unto the carrying away of Jerusalem, captive in the fifth month. So we're, we're right at the end. Here the temple has been around for over 400 years, and, and now we're. this is a good transition. The, the study of Josiah is a good transition. If you study the kings, uh, the chronology of the kings, there's three major there's three major d- dividing points to help uh, bring that about. And after after the kingdom was split in uh, Rehoboam and Jeroboam in the north and the south, 92 years. It took 92 years, and at that time, two kings died on the same day, both the king in the north and the king in the south. So that was a good, that's a good dividing point as far as chronology goes, as far as how to divide it up. The next one would be in the time of Hezekiah, because in his day, that's when the the northern ten tribes ceased to exist. So, yeah, that's a good study too right there to to help transition uh, during that time. But here we have... Here we have the time of Josiah, and the significance here is on the temple. The temple is a place where we think of, of fellowship. And when we think of uh, the fellowship in, in our dispensation, uh, you know, where Paul talks about uh, to make all, or to bring to light the fellowship of the mystery, or depending on the, you know, how you interpret that verse with which text, you might say the koinonia or the oikonomia, the discipline. You might either say the dispensation of the mystery, or you might say the fellowship of the mystery. And I think both words are apt, are apropos for that verse. 
because the, the, the fellowship that the church, which is his body, shares today is uh, something that we can't really put into words. And we'll, I'll get into that a little bit more, too. But what I mainly wanted to see here in first of Jeremiah was just a little bit of an overall view of where, uh, where Josiah sits with the rest of the kings. But uh, I, wa- I want to bring, I want to get to the verse where Josiah died, and I want to get to that earlier than than I normally would. I don't want to go through his whole life. I want to get to that next. But but Jeremiah himself was called the weeping prophet, and that's just a name people have attacked, attached, attached on to him, but uh, for somebody to be called that, you know, he had to have a pretty tender heart himself. And uh, So uh, when we get to that, it's kind of like the day Kennedy died. Everybody, everybody who was alive when Kennedy died can pretty much tell you what they were doing at the time they heard the news. And there, there's also a book, I think, called uh, The Day Lincoln Was Shot or something like that. But but take that times ten when you think of Josiah. Here's a king that had been there for 31 years, and they loved him. Now, a lot of, a lot of the verses we read says all of Israel, uh, all of Israel mourned for him and that type of thing. And uh, we'll see that all of Israel mainly means his remnant in that case. But sometimes he'll say all of Israel when it it may mean all of Israel. But uh, when we get to that verse, I'll bring that up also. But also during Josiah's time, I just want to turn to Zephaniah in chapter 1. Because this Zephaniah was written written in the time of Josiah, it says in verse one, the word of the Lord, which came unto Zephaniah the son of Cushi, the son of Gedaliah, the son of Amariah, the son of Hezekiah, that in the days of Josiah the son of Ammon, king of Judah. Now this is, shows you what, even though he was such a great king, this shows you what really was going on at the time, though, because. The heart of the nation was too far gone under Manasseh's uh, corruption. The way he the way he dealt dealt with the temple was to put Baal there and worship with uh, you know different with the stars in heaven and different things like that. That was that was what Josiah inherited, and most of the nation. Most of the nation still followed after these false gods, but there was a remnant that that uh, that these are the people I'm talking about when I say take it times ten. When Josiah died, these people who loved Israel and and, and all it stood for, it was something. It would have been really something to behold. But Jeremiah himself also wept and wrote a lamentation about it. Not not to be confused with the lamentations of uh, where he mourned, you know, the five books where he mourned the destruction of Jerusalem. 
But in verse 2 of Zephaniah chapter 1, it says, I will utterly consume all things from off the land, saith the Lord. So he's warning these people, even during Josiah's time. I will consume man and beast. I will consume the fowls of the heaven, fishes of the sea, the stumbling blocks of the wicked, and I will cut off man from off the land, saith the Lord. I will stretch out mine hand upon Judah, and upon all the inhabitants of Jerusalem, and I will cut off the remnant of Baal from this place. And the name of Camarines with with the priests. That was, if you look at the note, that was the, these were the, they dressed a certain way and so forth. The temple, the temple priests. And them that worship the host of heaven, from the housetops, and them that worship, and that swear by the Lord, and that swear by Malcolm, and them that are turned back from the Lord, and those that have not sought the Lord. So that just gives you an overall picture, though, of what's really going on in in Israel at the time. But but he but it's amazing what can be done. We get someone in there that's got a good heart. So, um, now, here's a verse we read last week in Deuteronomy chapter uh, 17. And just basically, I just want to say, let's see, I think we started in verse 7, in verse 14 of Deuteronomy 17. Talks about when they come into the land, you're, he already prophesied right here, you're going to ask for a king to be over you, even though that wasn't the way the Lord would have had had them not have a earthly king, but worshipped him as king. But he here's a prophecy. This is what you're going to do when you get in the land. You're going to want a king over you. Then in verse 16, he shall not multiply horses to himself. That was Solomon nor cause the people to return to Egypt and so forth. Verse 17, neither shall he multiply wives to himself. That was Solomon, that his heart turned not away, neither shall greatly multiply to himself silver and gold. And and other kings, I'm not other kings would have done the same thing if they could have, (laughs) if they could have done what Solomon could. But in 18, and it shall be when he sitteth upon the throne of his kingdom, he shall write him a copy of this law in a book. Now, in a minute, we'll go to Second Kings 22 again and read the verse we read about the book. They found a book. And it shall be when he setteth upon the throne of his kingdom that he shall write him a copy of this law in a book out of that which is before the priests and Levites. And that shall be with him, and he shall read therein all the days of his life, that he may learn to fear the Lord his God, to keep all the words of this law and these statutes to do them, and so forth. So, now let's go back to, well, let's go to Second Kings chapter 22. This is where we started off last week. But uh, when we get down to verse... When we get down to verse 11, it talks about that book. 
But here in verse 1, it says, Josiah was eight years old when he began to reign, and he reigned thirty and one years in Jerusalem. And his mother name, mother's name was Jedidah, the daughter of Adiah of Boscath. And Jedidah means uh, beloved. And by extension, that would be beloved of Jehovah. And uh, it's obvious that she had great influence on her son because Amon himself was uh, as big a vagabond as his his father Manasseh was. Amon, he was only 22 when he began to reign, but he he was going to take over right where Manasseh took off, left off. But but. It just happens in this case, the mother had the influence on, on his life. In verse 2, And he did that which was right in the sight of the Lord, and walked in all the way of David his father, and turned not aside to the right hand or to the left. And it came to pass in the 18th year of King Josiah. So the 18th year, we said that he lived from 531 to 500, so in the year 513, that would be his 18th year that the king sent Shaphan. Okay, so here he sent the priests, and, and they he, he wanted to repair the house. So he, he did all everything he needed to do there. And in verse 7, he says, How be it, and these are the people that did the work, there was no reckoning made with them of the money that was delivered into their hand because they dealt faithfully. And uh, their heart was in it because they had a king that they believed in. And we read that verse last week. Uh, it's in um, let's see, Proverbs 29.2. Is it? Let me see. When the righteous are in authority, the people rejoice. But when the wicked beareth rule, the people mourn. This was a time for great rejoicing for the, the these people, especially if you would call them the remnant uh, during his time. But anyway, it happened that their heart was in it, and the the temple got repaired. Now, I'm not sure how to how to exactly compare this to the time that we live in and the temple that we are members of because it goes, there's a fourth dimension. When we talk about the temple in Jerusalem and even the temple in 1 Corinthians 3.16, this is three dimensions. It's got height, uh, height, length, width, but when we get to our our dispensation, there's a fourth dimension. There's height and there's fullness. There's the three that we think about, and there's the fullness of Christ, which cannot be explained. At least I can't. I couldn't explain it. When Paul told us in Ephesians chapter one, and Barney read that verse about the epigenosis, the acknowledgement. The acknowledgement of the truth. I think, I think when someone becomes, uh, into the church, which is his body, there becomes a point in his life where he, he stands for that. 
he makes a stand, so to speak. And, uh, yeah, he acknowledges, yeah, this is what I believe. I'm going to, I'm going to live for this. And I'm trying to read something here. I just came across the screen. I'm not sure what this means. But anyway, um, okay, on the, okay, well, we'll reverse three, and I came to, okay, now verse seven, we read that, and, and there was no reckoning, because uh, we had a, us a great king over us. Now, if you keep on reading down, we get to verse 11, and he talked about the book. So how, how is it that we just read that all these kings are supposed to know about the book? They were supposed, his dad was supposed to tell him about it. And Manasseh was supposed to tell Amon about it. I'm pretty sure Hezekiah told Manasseh. There's a pretty good study that goes with that. But, um, but in any case, when he read the book, let's go on down to verse, uh, Okay. Okay, let's go all the way down to verse 18 of 2 Kings chapter 22. It says, but to the king of Judah, and this is uh, Hilkiah the prophetess telling telling these people. This is about where we left off last time. But to the king of Judah, which sent you to inquire of the Lord, thus shall ye say to him. Thus saith the Lord God of Israel, as touching the words which thou hast heard. Because thine heart was tender. It's amazing. That's all, that's what the Lord looks for. He doesn't look for a man, uh, here, here, I can, I can defeat all the nations. I'm the mighty warrior. No, his fighting was done with, with, uh, the strongholds of the heart. And it says, Because thine heart was tender, and thou hast humbled thyself before the Lord, when thou heardest what I spake against this place, and against the inhabitants thereof, that they should become a desolation and a curse, and hast rent thy clothes, and wept before me, I also have heard thee, saith the Lord. Behold, therefore I will gather thee unto unto thy fathers, and thou shalt be gathered into thy grave in peace, and thine eyes shall not see all the evil which I will bring upon this place. And they brought the king word again. So here we have the end of chapter 2, 22, where the people had to rejoice when they heard about that news. So they, they, knew, they, they knew they were sheltered there for a while at least. But let's see. Then in uh, see what we down to here. All right. Now I want to skip all the way up to when he died. And to do that, I want to go to Second Chronicles chapter twenty-five because it's a little bit better explanation there in Second Chronicles than it is in Kings, but. If you go to Second Chronicles chapter 35 and verse 20, it says, After all this, when Josiah had prepared the temple, Necho, king of Egypt, came up to fight against Karshemish, 
by Euphrates, and Josiah went out against him. Now, every commentator I've read always says that Josiah was wrong to do this. They, in fact, one, one, one I read said that if, you know, he led such a great life, but if there's anything we can come up with that he did wrong, this would have to be it. Because if you read the next verse, it says, but he sent ambassadors to him, saying, What have I to do with thee, thou king of Judah? Now, this is the king, Pharaoh Necho of Egypt, talking to Josiah. What have I got to do with thee, thou king of Judah? I come not against thee this day, but against the house wherewith I have war. And he says, For God commanded me to make haste, forbear thee from meddling with God, who is with me, that he destroy thee not. So from this verse, people gather that Josiah was wrong. But I'm, I'm not of that exact opinion. Because if you were, if you were the king, if you were the king, you would think of Nothing else but protecting your people and your nation. Well, Israel was so located that everything had to go through them. There was two highways, the king's highway and then the highway that went along the coast, right along the Mediterranean coasts. And, and any time somebody had to go, go somewhere from through Africa on up, through Europe and so forth, it was always through one of those highways. But it's believed here because of historical evidence that Pharaoh Necho, they took the, they took ships on up close to Megiddo, which is farther north up in Israel. So they took ships there and unloaded and, but, but that's where he was, Josiah was waiting for them at that point. And it was a political it's a political move in the first place. The fact that Necho went up to try to fight off Nebuchadnezzar didn't work out anyway. That was the, they got defeated in that war, according to history. But we see here, it says in verse 22, Nevertheless, Josiah would not turn his face from him, but disguised himself that he might fight with him and hearken not unto the words of Necho from the mouth of God and came to fight in the valley of Megiddo. And the archers shot at Josiah, and the king said to his servant, Have me away, for I am sore wounded. His servants therefore took him out of that chariot and put him in the second chariot, that he had, and they brought him to Jerusalem, and he died. To me, that that should have ended that verse, and he died, because it, it's, that's all it says, and he died. But uh, but no, but the, I want to read a verse. I want to read a verse out of Amos, and it's in verse three seven of Amos. And this is in response to Pharaoh Necho's statement that, that God told me, God told me not, you know, to do this thing. Okay, surely the Lord God in Amos 3, 7, 
Surely the Lord God will do nothing. And that you can think of as a double negative. But even though they, these two words in Hebrew very rarely are put, put together. But surely the Lord will do nothing, but he revealeth his secret unto his servants, the prophets. Now, if you read the, the note there, he gives you about three other verses to help back that thought up. But that's an, an amazing thing to say right there. Nothing ever gets done to you, Israel, unless I tell you first. I'm going to let you know about it before it's going to happen. And I'm going to do it through my holy prophets. So there we have that in Amos 3.7. And that's why I, I just can't, I can't give Necho that much credit to say that, yeah, God told me to go fight Nebuchadnezzar up in, you know, you know. I just can't bring it that far. And I, and I think it was just the Lord's timing. The Lord had an exact timetable when Jerusalem would be destroyed. And the dates and numbers come out exact if you look at an overall view of how, how he worked, how the Lord worked. So, okay, then in, um, let's see, this, 35, okay, I read that one. All right, now I'm going to go ahead and go to 2 Kings chapter 13. Now, I don't know what to say other than the people were shocked when when Josiah died. And, and I could have kept reading here in verse 25 of 2 Corinthians chapter 35. It says, and Jeremiah lamented for Josiah. They both had tender hearts, as you remember. But think of poor old Jeremiah, what he had to face. And now, now he's, he's left without a, without a leader, so to speak. And all this, let's see, and all the singing men and the singing women, I need to get my glasses on here, hold on. And all the singing men and the singing women spake of Josiah in their lamentations to this day. And, uh, okay, lamentations. And made them an ordinance to be called, written in Okay. So, where does it say all, they all mourn, but, uh, his chariots, he was buried. And made them, well, that, pretty much that verse, but, but, uh, maybe I'm, maybe I'm thinking in Second Kings it talked about all Israel and, and they all mourn there. But, alright, now I'm going to backtrack. I talked about how he started and how he ended. Now I'm, there's just a couple of key points left for his life before I want to go back to the New Testament, to Ephesians and, and that verse we talked about. There's just a couple of other things I want to point out about Josiah's life. And if you go to 2 Kings chapter 13, um, let me get up here. 2 Kings 13 says, 
I beg your pardon. Let's go back to First Kings. First Kings, chapter thirteen. Yes. First Kings chapter 13. Now, this was the first king of the north, Jeroboam. And right off the bat, he set up, uh, the, remember he set up the two calves, you know, at the two, two boundaries of Israel. He didn't want people coming down to Jerusalem to worship. He, he set up calves and said, okay, here, O Israel, these are the gods that brought you up out of Egypt. Those, those calves remained in Israel all those years till Josiah came on the scene. Now, let's read, start in verse 1 of 1 Kings chapter 13. And behold, there came a man of God out of Judah by the word of the Lord unto Bethel, and Jeroboam stood by the altar to burn incense, and he cried against the altar in the Lord, and he cried against the altar in the word of the Lord, and said, O altar, altar, thus saith the Lord, Behold, a child shall be born unto the house of David, Josiah by name, and upon thee shall he offer the priests of the high places that burn incense unto thee, and men's bones shall be burnt upon thee. And that's a, that's a, would take a long time through the whole history here of what happened, but, but when, uh, Josiah, what is he saying in the note here? 177 some years later, uh, you know, uncovered the bones of this false prophet that we read of in verse, uh, Eleven, it talks about an old prophet, but he was really not a true prophet. And, and anyway, that's a different story I don't have time for. But the point here is Josiah, imagine that. Here's a, a man who's right, that, right at the beginning of the kingdom, of the split kingdom. His name comes up already. So, but now turn to, uh, second kings, Chapter 23. Okay, chapter 22, remember, he repaired the temple. Chapter 20, 22, he repaired the temple. Here he's going to cleanse it. He's going to take out. And where do you start? I don't know. Verse 4, though. And the king commanded Hilkiah, the high priest, and the priest of the second order, and go on, and that were made for Baal and so forth. And if we keep reading down here, all the way through this chapter, let's see, through, yeah, I don't know where to start reading, but, it, but like if you look at verse, uh, nine, nevertheless the priests of the high places came not up to the altar of the Lord in Jerusalem, but they did eat of the unloved bread among their brethren. And he defiled Topheth, which is in the valley of the children of Hinnom, that no man might make his son and his daughter pass through the fire of Moloch. And they took away the horses, just blowing them, verse 12, and the altars that were on the top of the upper chamber. And look, okay, yeah, this, these are two key verses right here. 
12 and 13. And the altars that were on the top of the upper chamber of Ahaz, which the kings of Judah had made, and the altars which Manasseh had made, in the two courts of the house of the Lord, did the king beat down and break them down from thence and cast the dust of them into the brook Kidron. The valley of Hinnom would be the same thing there. And the high places that were before Jerusalem, which were on the right hand of the Mount of Corruption, which Solomon the king of Israel had built for Ashtaroth, the abomination of the Zidonians, all that time that had been there. No king ever did anything about it. It was a political move for Solomon and all of the nations that he was married into. But that, that's why the Lord don't, uh, don't bring too many wives unto yourself. You know, when uh, Solomon was only like 57 years old, it's, it said, now when Solomon was old in years <laughs> and he had white hair, imagine he was already old and, and because he became king when he was around 17 and he was there for 40 years. So he wasn't very old and he, he was prematurely old. And uh, I'm not going to make that comparison though because he had that many wives but but uh I would have grown old faster I believe. But in but in verse twelve, all of those all of those things as people came into the city from outside, that's the first thing they see. They all of these these gods and whatever they were that they had standing up. So, so this was the great Josiah. He cleaned out all of that, both from Manasseh, from uh, Jeroboam the first, and 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 here we have it from Solomon's and so forth. So imagine that. What a great king to do that. And then we have in verse. Um, let's go down to verse 25 of the same chapter. And the like unto him was there no king before him that turned to the Lord with all his heart and with all his soul and with all his might, according to all the law of Moses, neither after him arose there any like him. Notwithstanding, the Lord turned not from the fierceness of his wrath, wherewith his anger was kindled against Judah because of all the provocation that Manasseh had provoked him withal. And let's see. Okay, then, then this is the second Kings, how they, it went into his death. But there were only a few verses there. So, so here we have, here we have the temple being cleansed. And, uh, it talks about what a great king is. But let's turn now to, uh, First Corinthians chapter 3 and verse 16 and read that verse where it says, and, and if you look at the context here before it, it talks about a man, where is he going to build his works? You know, where are you going to put, you know, where are you going to abide? In verse 14, if any man's work abide which he hath built thereupon, he shall receive a reward. 
and so forth. Verse 16, Know ye not that ye are the temple of God, and that the Spirit of God dwelleth in you. Now, you can almost compare this one to the temple in the Old Testament because we still have to, we're still dealing with only three dimensions. However, we have the Spirit of God dwelling within us. And I, I think there's an acknowledgement there too when a person receives the Lord. In uh, Romans 10, 8, and 9 it talks, it says that uh, with our mouth, that he confesses with his mouth. Or, or I think that means that he makes it known. He makes it known that, yes, this is who I am now. I be, you know, I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Christ. This is who I am. I stand up for this. Uh, but in, in verse 17, If any man defile the temple of God, him shall God destroy, for the temple of God is holy. Which temple ye are. So, that comes with salvation when, when the Spirit of God dwells in us. But we take it a, a step farther when we get to Ephesians chapter 2. I'm not quite ready to go there yet because I want to go back one more time. I want to end Josiah on a good note. If we can go back to Second Chronicles chapter 35. Just want to read, I think, one verse there. Second Chronicles 35, and I want to read verse 18. And this the whole chapter in chapter 35, I'll, I'll read verse 1. Moreover, Josiah kept a Passover unto the Lord in Jerusalem. Okay, he kept a Passover, and that this whole chapter talks about what a great thing it was. And there was, in verse 18, and there was no Passover like to that kept in Israel from the days of Samuel the prophet, neither did all the kings of Israel keep such a Passover as Josiah kept, and the priests and the Levites and all Judah and Israel that were present and the inhabitants of Jerusalem. In the 18th year of the reign of Josiah was this Passover kept. So, the, here, here, um, it's even, it's greater than any Passover ever kept. And remember when Solomon first opened up, when they first opened up the temple when it was completed, the Shekinah glory was present at that time. Never since that time has it ever been recorded that the Shekinah glory was present. However, it, it probably, by in, there are a couple of verses that infer that, that that was going to keep up in that, in that way. And, and it, it would seem likely that the Shekinah glory would have been present here, but I can't really say that 100% because it doesn't say it. But, uh, but I wanted to just say that that the temple, the whole study, I'm trying to kind of look at the temple itself. And uh, I think it's uh, Psalms 84. Psalms 84 is uh, verse 3. It talks about a sparrow. Even the sparrow has found a house for himself, a place to... It's actually, actually it's better. Let me see. 
It's actually, if I read it in, uh, I'd like to read it actually in the uh, NIV, where it says, How lovely is your dwelling place, O Lord Almighty. My soul yearns, even faints, for the courts of the Lord. My heart and my flesh cry out for the living God. Even the sparrow has found a home. And the swallow and this for herself, where she may have her young, a place near your altar. And you, you get the thought that this sanctuary and this place, uh, uh, you know, that the Lord has provided, it's a place of fellowship. And, that, and that's what we get uh, when we turn to Ephesians. And I'm going to do that now. Let's go to Ephesians chapter 2. And when when Paul talks in, in uh, I beg your pardon in Colossians three one through four he talks about keeping your mind on things above, and that pretty much entails all of the first three chapters of Ephesians. But here we have here's something that we can keep our mind up from above. Here it is in uh, here we read in verse eighteen. Of chapter two of Ephesians, for though for through him we both have access by one spirit unto the Father. Now therefore ye are no more strangers and foreigners, but fellow citizens with the saints and of the household of God, and are built upon the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Jesus Christ himself being the chief cornerstone, in whom all the building fitly framed together, groweth unto an holy temple in the Lord, in whom ye also are builded together for an habitation of God through the Spirit. Now again, I I can't... <laughs> this is holy ground. Whenever you read anything in Ephesians, uh, there's really no no way to, to understand it other than the, the Holy Spirit has to give it to you. And to, to actually put myself into these verses, it's, uh, it's mind-boggling. But if, if you read in verse uh, 18 of chapter 1 of Ephesians, it says, The eyes of your understanding being enlightened, that ye may know, that's the word oida, instinctively, that you may get to the point instinctively to know what is the hope of his calling. But in verse 17, the verse, verse morning read, that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give unto you the spirit of wisdom and revelation in the acknowledgement of him. That's what I think. I wonder, what if a person, all they read was the first chapter or first three chapters of Ephesians, and they believed it, and they acknowledged it, and and they never heard of the mystery before. They never heard the word mystery. I, now I don't know the answer to this, but I wonder. I wonder just who those people are that are in the body of Christ. And if he acknowledges these truths that in Ephesians, does that put him accepted in the beloved? And that just a thought because. It's something we need to always be, be thoughtful of other people, no matter what religion they are, and uh, be real careful in our approach how we present the truth. Not that, uh, not that I'm bringing up anything 
just so you guys know, you you helped me tremendously. All of you speakers out there are wonderful. And I've only started listening in since the first of the year. It's a long story how my office moved here, but but every one of you just know that the Lord is using you, and it's not an easy struggle. The life we live is not easy when when we stand up for the truths of the mystery. And uh, you'll see that in, in uh, chapter 6 of Ephesians, where he talks about the spiritual wickedness in high places. And I think a comparison there might be to the giants of the Old Testament. And, and before just, before, uh, in fact, I'm going to read that verse. Before Joshua entered the land, remember that verse in 1 9, and it, there, this is the middle of another good study, but, but it says, Have I not commanded you? Be strong and courageous. Do not be terrified. Do not be discouraged. For the Lord your God will be with you wherever you go. That's true of us even today. But they had their giants to fight. And and as long as they let the Lord do the fighting, everything worked out great. But here we have, all of us have our giants in a way. If you look at verse 12 of Ephesians 6. For we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this age or world, against spiritual wickedness in high places. And I know I know a lot of you have talked on that subject specifically too, but especially I want to read verse 18 because we we all need this. We all need to put on the whole armor of God. And as time goes on, it's, it seems more and more imminent. But in verse 18, praying always with all prayer and supplication in the Spirit and watching thereunto with all perseverance and supplication for all saints. And I know all of you do that. And, and I know you all do it when someone's about to speak that you pray for him. And, uh, and and I know what you're all going through. I know I know how it is to teach. I'm 71 now, and uh, and uh, I don't. It's I, I just thank all of you, Barney and Ron and uh, Cecil and and all of you guys. I just really want to tell you that uh, you've helped me a lot, and I'll listen to all of you. I think you're all great. Okay, with that I'm going to go ahead and close in a word of prayer. Thank you, Lord, for this book you gave us that we are so privileged to open. And we pray that we'll keep our, that you'll keep our eyes enlightened, that we'll get to know you better as we study your truth. And thank you for each one here, Lord. Keep your hand on them as, as we go our ways and strengthen us all in your might. We pray in Christ's name. Amen.